Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is Educational Podcast, episode number 52, the podcast for educational podcasters and anybody looking to bring podcasts into the classroom. Guys, as the weather is getting warmer and ISTE is getting closer, I am so excited and thrilled to share that we are going to be doing our educational podcasting workshop this year twice. That is right, twice at ISTE 2019 in Philadelphia. If you guys are going to be in the Philadelphia area, we are going to be bringing you our workshop live on Saturday morning at 8 30 in the morning where you guys can have a chance to have a three-hour workshop where we're going to be learning, doing, acting. We're going to be running all around the convention center, building podcasts, and having a great time. We might even have some educational podcasting celebrities coming on, talking to us about how they are doing filmmaking in the classroom. You don't want to miss it. If you're not able to make it on Saturday, we have one more opportunity. A one-hour workshop is going to be happening on Monday at 2.30. I am looking forward to doing that stuff. That is everything that we're going to be doing over at ISTE. And you can find more information at teachercast.net slash ISTE, where we're going to have our complete schedule, all the rundowns, and we would, of course, love to see you. Today on our show, we're going to be talking all about email marketing, social media, and ways to build online courses. My guest today is the creator of the Chromebook Classroom podcast. I want to bring on Mr. Chromebook Classroom himself, Mr. John Sowash. John, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Jeff, it's great to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. It is so nice to have you back on this show. How are you doing, my friend? Things are good. Things are good. Um, finished a uh, full school year. And yeah. uh, for me, I do mostly professional development. So for me, things are actually starting to get busy. Uh, June, July, August are uh, kind of my three busiest months of the year. So uh, teachers are winding down. I'm gearing up. I, I know the feeling. I remember those days as a music teacher of when everybody else is doing finals. It's time for that music teacher to kick it into action for graduation. What is the popular thing these days for teachers and school districts to ask you about? Are we still doing intro to Google? Are we doing Google Advanced? Or are we doing JavaScript and HTML coding on Chromebooks? What are we doing these days with your sessions? You know, there's still a good bit of, um, I wouldn't say introductory training, but, you know, teachers know how to create a Google Doc, um, send an email, create a calendar, but, you know, going to the next step, kind of, you know, level 2.0, not expert level, but um, just getting into the more useful, practical applications for the, the G Suite products. Now, when you and I met, it was in uh, a school district in New Jersey. So I, I want to you know, share that you are no stranger to travel. If any school district out there is looking to bring in a fantastic Google trainer, where do they go to find you? Yeah, easiest way is probably um, my primary website, which is uh, chrmbook.com. Uh, if you visit chrmbook.com slash contact, um, you get all my info there, some uh, workshop descriptions and things. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm on uh, all the socials at JR Sowash, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn. I think those are the main ones. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, John, because you are one of those guys that's out there hustling every day. You've got a fantastic professional development network. You've got a fantastic blog. You've got a wonderful podcast. We're going to be diving into what is, how is, and how do you do all that stuff. But today, I want to specifically ask you some questions about how you have built that brand, how you build your business. Specifically, today, we're talking about email marketing, something that you and I have talked at length about. Mm -hmm. Why is email marketing important for educational podcasters? I think it's 
a useful tool for anyone. Um, I wouldn't, you know, limit it to podcasting. Um, you know, there's a couple of reasons. Um, you know, social media is certainly popular um, and it's something you can't ignore, but um, work gets done in email. Um, I mean, when I want to do real work, if I need to have a serious conversation, if I need to, you know, move the ball forward, I typically go to email. Um, conversations can start via social media. I can meet people, connect with people. But when, yeah, when work needs to get done, um, for the most part, at least for me, uh, it goes to email. So that's a, that's a place where I think really focused conversation um, can happen. So that's one reason. The other big reason that I focus a lot on um, creating content via email is I do not trust the social media platforms completely. I, I, it sounds kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, conspiracy theory when I say it that way. But I mean, look, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the rest, you know, they control their platforms. They can decide who can be on them or not. And if one day they decide to change whatever, right, they can take their ball and go home. And that's their prerogative. I, I don't fault them for that. Um, email is a completely open platform. No one can control it. And so I own that list and I can use it uh, as a see fit. I don't have to go through any gatekeepers. And, you know, that is such an important part to start the show off with. You know, we always talk about having hundreds of Twitter followers, millions of Twitter followers. But the, at the end of the day, they belong to Twitter. And the same thing with your YouTube and the same thing with Facebook. But that email list you have, that almighty spreadsheet of, of emails from people that is yours. You've built that you've grown that you've nurtured it. They are people who like, know, and trust you. Talk to us a little bit about some of the strategies that you're using. Cause many people say, Oh, I'm going to go get the free program. And isn't that good enough? So let's just talk a little bit about uh, platforms here. Um, I'll dive into a little bit about the platforms that I'm using and why, but I want to just start with you. What's your email program of choice and why? So I am currently using a tool called ConvertKit, uh, which I've been using for, I think, about three years now. Um, uh, ConvertKit is designed specifically for, I guess I would call them solopreneurs. Um, it's it's not designed for big agencies. It, it's designed for a single blogger or someone like that who just needs to send and do some simple automations. Um it works very well. I'm very pleased with it. It is not the cheapest platform. Um, if someone is just getting started, I that's not where I would uh, tell you to begin. Um, but uh, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, it's a very good option. And, and ConvertKit is the platform of choice for us here also at TeacherCast. I've been doing it for about two years. I find it's one of the easier ones to get set up at. It's not a template-based platform. I mean, there's a lot of plat you know email marketing applications out there that, that pride themselves in pretty templates. But the problem is people don't always open templates, and a lot of times the templates don't always get into the inboxes. Yeah, their strategy is that, you know, the best email is an email that comes directly from a person to a subscriber. So my emails are not overproduced. I write them myself. I try to write them as if I was writing you an email directly. Mm -hmm. um, certainly has links and things, but no, I do not uh, overly doctor it up um, with images and, you know, fancy stuff. 
Now, people often ask, what should we be looking for? You know, I, I've been coaching a few uh, educational podcasters who are just getting started out. You know, they're, they're brand new. They're just getting into this whole email thing. Um, would you recommend ConvertKit to a brand new email marketer, brand new podcaster? No. Why? Um, I would not recommend any email service until you have... It might be a little controversial, but uh, probably a thousand subscribers. So wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. How do you get a thousand subscribers if you don't have an email marketing program? Spreadsheet in Google Sheets. Hmm. So a nice Google form does the trick. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, if and you know, people get so hung up on platforms all the time, what platform should my blog be? What platform should my email list be? What platform should I use for my, you know, student information system? That's the wrong question. The, you need to focus on making content that people actually want. You make content people want, they will beg you to get on your list, and then you can deal with the ramifications of it later on. Focus on the content, not on the systems. You know, I, I love that as an answer. Um, you know, at the bottom of every one of my teacher cast pages, I have a Google form, and I love the fact that Forms Now is able to embed without all that stuff, you know, without the color around the edges. And I got to tell you, I get just as many people filling out that form as I do my, my opt-in forms and such. And, you know, I, my answer is usually, you know, a, a free service like AWeber or MailChimp because it is free. You can start to build. You can start to broadcast. You can do all those things. And, and, and you know, if you're getting started off, it, it's it, it can get expensive really quickly, especially with ConvertKit. If you're not making any money, if you're not even at the point where you can bring money in, ConvertKit isn't for you. And I, I love and your rule of a thousand. Selling, if, if, if all you're doing is sending out a monthly newsletter, ConvertKit is way too, it's overkill. You, you're not even going to use enough of the features to, to make it worthwhile. Um, I use, well, my progression was I just had a spreadsheet. And then I was using um, just some add-on at the time. I don't even think it's around just to send my emails. Um, that'll work to a point, but eventually the Google spam gods are going to get mad at you because, you know, you don't have an unsubscribe button. It's yeah. not an automated process. So, you know, a thousand, depending on how much you're sending, might be too many. You know, 500 might be kind of the limit there. Oh. And then a free service. MailChimp is great. That's what I went to. I think I don't remember what it is. Is it up to a thousand before you have to pay anything? I think that's a great starter option to go to well let's let's back up here because if we're looking at forms and sheets is the answer to our illegal email newsletter is it is it autocrat is it form mule like what what's what's the way to do this because you don't want to go into gmail and then copy and paste a thousand emails into a into a gmail message and you don't want to do a gmail message 800 times no i wouldn't do that um i would probably write the email in gmail and then I would copy it, and I would probably use Formule. That's what I would use. So you would uh, copy the text from Gmail, paste it into Formule, and then it would go ahead and send that out to your uh, your subscribers. Again, that's a temporary solution. Once you get up to you know a few hundred, yeah, five hundred, it's it's going to be a little tricky, but the, uh, that that'll get you started. The nice thing about Formule that I like is you could actually set it up so that way, if a cell says something, then send this email. If a send if a form if a cell this is easy to say. If a cell says something else, 
send this form. So for instance, on my forms, it says, what's your first name? What's your email? And then it says, I am a, and then it drops down to teacher, podcaster, accountant, what all those different things. You can actually have it say, if this cell says podcaster, send this email. And if the cell Mm -hmm. says classroom teacher, send this email. I mean, you could do some pretty sophisticated things using free applications like forms and sheets. If you know a little bit about, you know, Formula, Autocrat, whatever, all those little uh, Google add-ons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I wouldn't even go that complicated, though. I mean, just getting started again. <laughs> the, what I do. the goal is to just focus on getting useful content to people in the 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 most frictionless way possible. So we're here talking to John all about Chromebooks. And John, I wanted to ask you now that it is the end of the school year and everyone's looking at budgeting for next year and purchasing things. What kind of Chromebook are you currently using? We have a lot of tech coaches that listen to our programs Um, for PD reasons. What would you purchase for yourself? So uh, there's two different answers to that question. Um, You know, a Chromebook for uh, professional use. Um, I have a couple of different options, and then um, you know, for student use, um, a few a few different ones as well. Um, a, a couple big major things to consider. I, I really wouldn't stress out too much about the brand or the model of the device. They're just like iPads. They kind of all run the same thing. I mean, they're laid out almost the same way. Most of the more inexpensive Chromebooks, I mean, if you're less than $300, they're all pretty much going to be very similar spec-wise. RAM, processor, all of that, I wouldn't stress um, about it. Really boils down to just a couple of factors. Um, Number one, size of screen. Um, do you want a, a 10 inch? Do you want a 11, 12, 14 inch? You know, you got to consider that and, uh, you know, how big are your desks? How big are your students? Um, you know, are they taking them home? Do you want them carrying around a 14 inch? Probably not. So that's, uh, you know, consideration number one. The second one, in my opinion, is the more important one is touch or no touch. Um, almost every Chromebook model now offers a touch screen variation. Um, I'm changing my recommendations. Uh, this is pretty big. I knew this was coming. Um, I am now recommending that um, school districts strongly consider purchasing a touch screen Chromebook. I predict that in the next 24 months, all computers will be touch devices. It just does not make sense for them not to be. The cost continues to come down. They're not that much more expensive, and they open up so many additional learning opportunities in the classroom. I refuse to buy a non-touch device. You know, and it seems like more and more school districts are paying that extra hundred bucks, whether it be on a Chromebook or on a Surface tablet, or you know, even today Apple has released a feature or coming out with a feature where you can put you know a touch iPad with a pencil attaching it to your iMac desktop. I, I think it's just something that, again, it, it might cost you an extra 100 bucks or 150 bucks per, per unit, but if you're going to be using this for the next four years, five years for some Chromebooks, mm-hmm. um, it is absolutely an essential skill. Now, if you guys are out there looking for a Chromebook or maybe you guys recently purchased a Chromebook, we would like to hear from you guys. You can, of course, reach out to us on Twitter at Podcasting Today, and you can check out Mr. Sowash over here at SR Sowash on Twitter. Let us know what kind of Chromebooks are you using? What are you doing with your Chromebooks. We would love to hear from you. When we come back, we're going to talk to John a little bit more about his website, how he built it, and some of the great things he's doing with email marketing. We'll be right back on episode 52 of Educational Podcasting today. 
Friends, before we move on with our show, I wanted to let you guys know I have been in education now for almost... 20 years, and I've seen the changes some students have come to face every single day, whether it's going through school hungry, not being able to see a doctor when they're sick, or not getting the proper rest at night. These challenges make it hard for kids to focus on their learning. I remember a story of a student who came to my office one day and she could barely stay awake due to all the circumstances happening around her at home that were beyond her control. I didn't know what I could do and I wanted to be able to help her out in any way that I could. Thankfully, Concordia University in Portland is leading the way with their three to PhD program that helps to combat students' fears, freeing them to pursue their highest dreams. They're revolutionizing education by creating a holistic model that provides groceries, healthcare, and even clothing to students right here on campus, helping them thrive and helping our communities strengthen and grow. Concordia's College of Education offers online and on-campus programs where students have the opportunity to learn about a more compassionate approach to education and see how nurturing the whole student can lead to amazing things. To learn more about how you can help students conquer their monsters and achieve their highest dreams, visit cu-portland.edu forward slash let's conquer. That's cu-portland.edu forward slash let's conquer. And use the hashtag nature educate grow. And we are back talking to John Sowash all about Chromebooks, Chrome browsers. And John, one of the questions I want to ask you here is, you know, I saw a video recently where you were standing in your beautiful studio talking about some brand new features of Chrome OS. What's new in Google these days? Well, there's always something new, which... uh simultaneously excites and aggravates everyone. Just as soon as you feel like you got to figure it out, <laughs> they change something. Um, probably the biggest thing that a lot of people will be excited about is um, native PDF annotation. So um, for many years, people ask me all the time, how um, can my students edit PDF files on a Chromebook? Very common uh, question. It uh, aggravates me a little bit because PDF files were specifically designed not to be edited. But uh, I, I understand a lot of people, you know, purchase things from TPT or their textbook, um, you know, provides them with things that are in PDF. They don't really have a say in the matter. And I've been recommending typically Kami, which is great. Um, Doc Hub is another one. Both of them are, are very good. Um, but now you don't need either of those um, to do simple annotations. If you are using Chrome OS 74, which virtually all Chromebooks should be by this time. Um, when you open a PDF file, if you uh, look up in the top right corner, typically you'll see the print button, download buttons. Um, you'll see a new option, this little pencil icon. All you have to do is click that pencil and you can edit right on top of that PDF. Um, this gets back to my earlier um, recommendation though. If you do not have a touchscreen, it's not fun to edit because it is a drawing style um, annotation. Just so we're clear here, when you're saying editing PDFs, a high school senior can't rewrite their college uh, recommendation letters. Not that, not not that easily. Nope, it's more um, just drawing, so you can highlight, you can circle, you can uh, you know basically sketch right on top of uh, hmm. a PDF. Some teachers um, might be familiar with this feature through Google Classroom. Um, if you open up a PDF, well, open up a student file through the Google Classroom app for iOS or Android, you can do this. But it was annoying because you could not do this if you were on a desktop. 
uh, or laptop. Now you can. Do you have a favorite Chrome extension? Ooh, I, favorite I one, probably the emoji keyboard. Um, really? I use that one a ton. Yep. I mean, you know, kind of like picking a favorite child, but uh, yes. you forced me into it. So uh, I'll go with, uh, yeah. I use emoji one by Joy Pixels. Um, there's tons of them out there, but that's the one I like. I will tell you a favorite Chrome extension that I, you know, it really is one of those can't live without. It is called Change Case. Have mm-hmm. you seen this one? Not specifically. Oh, tell me more. A, it is a it is a great little Chrome extension. It goes right into it. Sorry, let me rephrase that because I think I got it wrong. It's not a Chrome extension. It's a Google Docs add-on. Got I'm it. always getting those okay, things yes. wrong. Yes. But the change case basically gives you one, two, three, four. It gives you six options. It you you highlight text. And it says you want it all uppercase, and it automatically happens. Or yes, all lowercase. Yes, that is case. incredibly annoying when people oh. type in all caps. Yes, <laughs> yes. Or invert case. Or what I love is title case. Because who, mm-hmm. who writing blog posts or who writing podcasting show notes knows which ones to keep up and down. And yep. so I've been using that title case for so much of my writing. Check mm-hmm. that add-on out, and it just just shows what what is a Chrome extension versus an add-on. Let's just oh, you got apps, just, you got Android apps, extensions, yeah. add-ons. There's so. Uh, so many it's, things it's a bit confusing so let's get back to some email marketing here because many people on our voxer group uh, that you and i are in uh, played the game of ask john one of the things that i love about you and your email marketing is not only are you are you you're killing it with your convert kit but you're also killing it with your online courses and your sequences to get people engaged in your content and you know as an educational podcaster that's really what we're looking to do we're looking to build community we're looking to build a brand we're looking to let Leverage that brand maybe into some income or into some uh, membership portal or something like that. Talk to us a little bit about some of the online courses and how'd you do it? Yeah, so I started doing online courses. Um, I mean, I mean, it goes way back if you really want to get back to it. I was the director of online learning for um, a school district for uh, several years and learned a lot about online courses. I'll be very honest. After my stint, I was there for, I think, two years, two and a half years. I was really kind of disillusioned with online courses and online learning. Um, you know, it had tremendous promise and everybody was like, oh, learn at your own time, pace, whatever. But most of the time people just didn't do it. They just signed up but never completed the course. And so I really took some time off and was very resistant. I really prefer face-to-face professional development, but that's not always a possibility for a variety of reasons. So maybe three, four years ago, I started um, playing around with online courses and I was really trying to look for what is the easiest way. I don't want the course software to interfere with the teacher's ability to join the course. Um, And what really sold it for me was when Google opened up Google Classroom to teachers outside of your immediate uh, school domain. Mm -hmm. When that happened, um, I decided to begin building a course inside of Google Classroom. And uh, that's what I do today. Um, I've built, I think, maybe five different courses. Um, Some of them I may retire. I've learned a lot about the process um, along the way. Um, Google Classroom is not ideal for running um, online courses, especially paid online courses, but I use it because I want it to be convenient for the teachers. And when I say it's not the best, it's not the best for me as the creator. It's a lot more work for me because that's not what it's designed to do. Um, but I know that a teacher is in Google Classroom every day anyways, 
And so for them to just pop into my course for 10 minutes in between, you know, um, their, their classes, it makes sense. And I think that's important when you're creating that content, put it in a, in a container that your audience is used to and is not intimidated by. You know, we do on our tech coaching network, we use a combination of classroom and Google sites and we do it behind a, you know, we, we publish only to those specific email addresses. So we've been able to actually generate a membership page that if you're in a, if you're in our mastermind, um, you now have access to the website, which then gets you links to the classroom pages. And of course, classroom codes and everything work together. So whether you're doing professional development, whether you're doing, you know, an AP class or anything like that, or, you know, even a parent organization, you can use that combination of classroom and Google sites to really create a nice digital online learning experience. What what still excites you about classroom? There's so many great things about it, but you're around it every day. You're training people on it every day. If somebody was to get hired into a Google school district and says, what is this classroom site thing? What's exciting to you about it? Why is it so important? Uh, I mean, every teacher needs a, a tool to communicate with students. I mean, there's three basic things that every teacher, myself, you, if you're teaching someone how to podcast or a kindergartner teacher has to do, you have to uh, be able to communicate directly to your students. You have to be able to, you know, get information to them in front of them. Secondly, you need students to be able to turn work into you and you need to do that in an organized way where you can tell who did, who didn't, when did it come in? It's, you know, easy to manage. And then thirdly, you need to be able to provide them with um, help, feedback, um, supportive advice and things like that. Google Classroom does a great job on all three things. I'm going to be honest. I use Google Classroom because my courses and the content that I create is Google-focused. You want to use Canvas? You want to use Edmodo, Schoology? I don't care. I think teachers freak out way too much about your learning management system. Every single learning management platform can work. Pick one, learn everything you can about it, and figure out how to use it. Um, They're all great. One of the other things that podcasters ask me all the time is, is, you know, listener retention, building that community, putting things together. How have you been able to grow your brand through the book, through the podcast, through your email marketing? What is the secret to John Sowash? I mean, it's not really that great secret. I mean, create helpful information. Um, you know, you have to figure out what, um, people need where they need help and then do whatever you can to provide helpful, useful information. You know, if you're doing it solely for the purpose of building your brand, I think people can smell that they, they know when they're, you know, just a cog in the wheel. Um, you know, I'm pretty active on Facebook. That's kind of the focus right now for me in terms of social media. I'm in a bunch of uh, Facebook groups and I just go there and answer questions. You know, I don't link to a blog post every time. I don't say, here's my free guide that will answer your question. Give me your email address. No, I just give them the answer. Um, You know, same thing with my email. Like, I don't try to sell people stuff in my email every time. I just try to provide helpful information. I think it's very important to be focused. Like, if you're in uh, a school district that uses iPads, you're not going to find my stuff helpful. I don't do iPads. I don't do Apple. I don't do Microsoft. I only do Google and Chromebooks. I mean, I went from EdTech and then I'm like, hmm, I like Google. And then I went down, oh, I want a Chromebook. So if you are a Chromebook using teacher who uses Google Classroom and Drive, then I can help you. If you're outside of that, then 
Jeff Bradbury, you know, many other people can, you know, provide help in, in other areas. John, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Thank you for supporting the channel. It's been great getting to know you. Before I let you go, I have a new segment to the show that I'm going to be calling How Do I Do That Best on My Chromebook? <laughs> I want to ask a few questions here. Questions that we get as technology coaches. Questions that you might get at your PD sessions that start with, Hey, Mr. Sowash, how do I do that again on my Chromebook? Are you ready? Sure, let's do it. How do I make a podcast on my Chromebook? So there's a lot of ways. Um, so you're going to need, I guess, really three things. You need a way to record. You need a way to edit. And then you need a way to publish. Um, for recording, I've used a couple different things. Um, I started using just YouTube Live. And then just the YouTube video would record. And I would uh, strip out the audio. Worked fine. Um, I've switched recently. I'm now using something called Zencaster. Um, which just records audio. It seems to be a little more reliable. I've had some issues. Uh, the thing it's free, so I use ZenCaster to record. Um, that's for long form. If you're just doing like a short ten minute clip or something like that, um, I recommend a tool called Cloud Audio Recorder. Super simple. Hit start. Hit stop. You hit upload to drive. How do I? Re- how do I? Uh, how do I edit or make or record whatever the right word is a video? So for video, um, it depends on how sophisticated you're going to get. If, if you're trying to do a you know, multi-track um, video, editing clips together, uh, WeVideo is definitely the, uh, the best. I pay for WeVideo. Um, another one that not as many people are familiar with, it's a newer tool, is called a Headliner. That's headliner.app, um, which is an interesting tool. Um, It's not fully optimized for K-12. They do have a 13 plus um, terms of service. So for um, high school, it's acceptable, but probably not uh, for lower grades. How do I use Google drawings and Google slides if it doesn't have a layering menu? How do I know how to move things up and down with all of the graphics and stuff that I'm doing? Mm-hmm. So, again, depending on how sophisticated you need to get, um, you know, I actually tend to use Google Slides more frequently than drawing for graphic design things, simply because I can do many pages in, uh, in slides. If Slides is not giving you the sophistication that you need, I would recommend Lucid Press which is, uh, if people are familiar with Microsoft Publisher, is going to be a, a very easy transition. Lucid Press is very similar to uh, Microsoft Publisher. And I'll end with the hardest one that I get every single day, and I don't have an answer for this one. On a Chromebook, I have my, my students using a Google form, and it's locked down using that new feature that just came out. But I'm still afraid that they're going to be screenshotting all of their questions and answers and sharing them with their friends. How do I stop this? So um, Google Forms has a a new feature. Not everyone has it currently. Uh, It's called Locked Mode for Google Forms. Um, Once you get it in the form settings, you just turn it on. just a toggle switch. Um, When that feature is on, students cannot take a screenshot. Really? It locks it down. I have um, tested that feature heavily. I have tried every trick that I know to break it. 
Um, if you try to do a screenshot, it says, sorry, screenshots are disabled. Um, you cannot copy and paste. Um, you cannot even right click on the form and say view source, which some students have figured out. Um, they can find the answers in the code. So it is, I have not figured nor uh, figured out or have heard of anyone being able to break the secure mode for Google Forms. Oh, and I'll throw one <laughs> Don't more. Don't take that as a challenge. No, I, I, that, <laughs> I, that's a new one for me. I'm going to go try that out because I, I that's this, that's the number one thing I hear teachers ask about. I'll give you one more. How do I transfer folders between my drive and team drives? You have to be a school administrator. Um Yes, I actually had to look this up recently. The only way to transfer um, a folder from your drive to team drive is you have to be not a super admin, but you have to have administrator privileges um, in the admin console. Meaning an administrator has to go into John's my drive and then can transfer things to a team drive in case John was leaving the school district. Yeah, they could either upgrade you temporarily and give you some admin privileges. I don't know what what specific privileges you have to have. Um, typically they would just say, share the folder with me and then I'll transfer it to the team drive. So editor works, but you don't have to be the owner of the, fo of the folder. That is correct. John, it is so great to have you on today and answering all of these questions. If you have any questions, please um, reach out on Twitter at JR Sowash. You can always reach out to us here at podcasting today. If you are an educational podcaster, we have some great things for you. Launching at ISTE is a brand new experience for podcasters and teachers who are bringing podcasters in podcasting into their classrooms. I can't wait to show it off. Of course, we're going to be at ISTE on Saturday morning at 830 doing our educational podcasting workshop, a three hour hands on workshop. Guys, it's going to be great. You're going to be running all around the city of Philadelphia, making podcasts, editing podcasts. And like I said, we're probably going to have a few uh, few, few guests coming in to, to talk to you guys about how to do stuff in your classrooms. I can't wait for that. And again, on Monday at 2 o'clock, or 2.30, I should say, we've got a great workshop. John, I know you're not going to be at ISTE, but where can we find you this summer? How do we get a hold of you? I'll be at uh, hashtag not at ISTE. And uh, you can always find me um, Twitter. Um, I'm pretty active on Facebook these days. I'm a bunch of Facebook groups. Um, my Facebook page, uh, Chromebook Classroom, uh, is where I post a lot of stuff. Love to uh, connect with you there. Excellent. And we want to say thank you guys one more time for listening to this episode. Episode number 52 of Educational Podcasting today. We would love to have you guys featured and share your passions about podcasting. On behalf of John and everybody here on the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classroom and continue sharing your passions with your students.